Hi there, I'm William Murray. Welcome to the Service Center. I've always felt that education is so important and knowledge is an asset that can never be taken from you. You know, health goes, wealth goes, so many things can come and go in life, but knowledge is a power that stays with you. Hi there, and happy 2023, everyone. A big welcome back to those who've dropped by the Service Center before. The Service Center podcast is back for another year. If you're new here, the goal of the show is really simple. I believe that people fall in love with hospitality and service through our stories and experiences. And so, if stories are our love language, we should be telling a lot more of them. I always tell people that I would likely continue doing this show with or without the microphones. They're just a great excuse to have fun and amazing conversations with some excellent people. Here, we celebrate experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs within hospitality and service. We explore their diverse and unique stories. We learn from their rich and personal journeys, and we dig into their opinions and insights on key topics in our field. I'm very excited to share these next couple of episodes with you, as I am joined by the amazing Ritu Gupta. Ritu is the chairwoman and ambassadress of the Gupta Group. She leads an extremely successful collection of businesses, including hospitality operations and ownership, and real estate asset management, along with numerous other ventures. She does this with energy, passion, and vision, and she's been continually honored for her achievements. These include being recognized as one of Canada's top 40 under 40 leaders in 2017 and receiving the BMO Entrepreneurial Award as part of Canada's 100 Most Powerful Women from the Women's Executive Network in 2019. In 2022, Ritu was presented with the Women of Inspiration Support Her Award by the Universal Women's Network, recognizing inspiring leaders and trailblazers. In the first of our series, Ritu and I talk about growing up as a second-generation Canadian the allure and excitement of going to the office with her father, Dr. Stephen Gupta, and the power of education in her journey. It was a great morning talking with Ritu. I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I look forward to hearing about your favorite parts. So let's just jump right into spending some time with Ritu Gupta. As always, my name is William Murray, and welcome to the Service Center. One of the things that I wanted to start out with when I saw news that Ritu Gupta had taken over as president and CEO of the Gupta Group and uh, Eastern Groups of Hotels, that was very fascinating news. But I looked under the title, and the title that you carry right now is Chairwoman of the Gupta Group and Ambassadress. Yes, that's correct. And I found the title incredibly intriguing. And I need you to tell me why you carry the title of Ambassadress. I, I love it. And I love that you've asked me this question because that title is actually very, very close to my heart. The reason is, since I was very young and I, I've, I've had the pleasure of working the company for so many years, I've always felt that I was a very strong ambassador for the company. So it didn't matter what you know industry we were in, I was always an ambassador for the company. And I also felt that a lot of people use this term ambassador. So you know, you'll have male, females, ambassadors of different countries, but they don't usually use the female version of it. And I really wanted to sort of show the world that I'm a strong female in a very strong position because also throughout my career, I'm always called Mr. You know, whether I carry the, the, the title of vice president or COO or CEO, 
if people didn't meet me and we were meeting via email, they would always assume that I was male. And I just felt that this is my chance. And I know chairwoman could have been enough, but I felt the title of ambassadress really, really spoke to how much I love and support the company. And that no matter what I do and no matter, you know, what industries you go into, that my heart is with the company and that I will always be an ambassador for the company. In your email signature, yes. you use the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. And you say, well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> and I think that seeps through in the idea that you are proudly claiming it could have been chair and president. We could have, could because that's what we did in the 90s and 2000s is yes. we gender neutraled everything. And yeah. the celebration of chairwoman and ambassadress. And I always make sure I get that if I'm pronouncing that correctly, ambassadress. I believe so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. All of those years of education have paid off. <laughs> I find that the, that you've grabbed onto that and used it as a lightning rod for bringing attention to gender issues. And that's that's a topic we're going to surface in a bit. But carrying a lightning rod really isn't where you began. You just grew up in this industry. Or did I? <laughs> was I always full of lightning? <laughs> I think that we would probably have to phone a friend, probably have to uh, phone your father, Dr. Gupta, and say, was she born with lightning? But where did you grow up? I grew up in Scarborough. So I was born in Scarborough, which I probably, you know, if you've even heard me speak for about 10 minutes, Scarborough always gets, you know, mentioned in there. Um, so I was born in Scarborough. And we moved shortly after to North York, um, which is currently where I where I live now. So that that's where I was born. And I think what what was interesting growing up is that we were all my siblings and I all watched my dad, you know, work so hard. And we watched them grow the company because we were very very small. Um, I turned forty in January, so this is you know forty years ago. We were a very very small company, and at that point we had a service station and maybe one or two hotels that was east of here in Port Hope. But Bill, there was just something, there was something about hotels and there was something about watching my dad go to office that I absolutely loved. And while my friends would sit and play this game called house, and I don't know even if you've heard of it. Yes. Okay. So they all wanted to play house. I could not understand the premise of this game. And I would ask them, okay, what does it mean? We're going to play house, but what do I do? And when they explained it, I, I said, no. And my dad had given me this really cute business card holder that was shaped like a briefcase. And my dad always still to this day carries a briefcase to work. So I took that little briefcase and I said, okay, you guys play house and I'm going to play office. And that's, that's what we're going to do. So I took this little tiny briefcase. It was a business card holder. You can imagine how tiny it was. And I just pretended that was my briefcase and I, and I would go to office and I couldn't even write, but I would pretend to, you know, write documents and stuff. So I was a huge geek and it was just, that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to play office and I'm still playing office. So it's kind of interesting. For anybody who's listening outside and did not grow up in the GTA, Ritu and I are just going to have a side conversation here. I also grew up in North York. Okay. Amazing. So what high school did you go to? A.Y. Jackson. Where did you go? York Mills. Collegiate. No way. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and I lived right on the border of North York and Scarborough. I lived just, just west, like two minute walk from Victoria Park. Oh. So we would cross the border of Victoria Park to go to Scarborough to go to the Max Mill. Okay. <laughs> we were like, oh, we're going to Scarborough. <laughs> we're going to Scarborough. That's amazing. So was York Mills your homeschool since you were on the border? 
No, George's Henry was on my was my homeschool, so I was right there. That's what I thought. Yeah, Parkwoods Village Mall. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's which now we've lost everybody who's listening to this. By the way, yeah, well, hundred percent. But that's 100%. amazing. But I grew Scarborough the house. I love Parkwoods it. Village Mall. Um, that's where I grew up. I got my first haircut there. My dad would take oh. us over, and there was a little Italian barber. And my dad had three sons, and uh, like every fourth Saturday, he would march yep. us over one, two, three. And all three sons would sit there going, we would like it, you know, longer in the back. Da, da, da. And and because it was an old Italian barbershop, my dad would just point to the, the like number two and we'd all get the yeah. number two. That was it. Yeah. You didn't have, it was not a democracy. Yeah, of course. Definitely. When you're growing up, it's never, it's never a democracy for sure not. That's amazing. So you went to Jackson and so we, we came from the same area. Yes. And, and we're both, both children of the Victoria Park, York Mills field. That's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> now, the other connection, though, is I know that Port Hope stop because my family moved out to Hastings, Ontario. Okay. And so that Port Hope stop that you talk about, I have probably been in there a hundred times. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And so when I, I was talking to Brian Leon last year, and he sent me this beautiful book that, that um, Choice puts out, right in the middle of it is your father talking about the Port Hope Station. And I went, oh, wow, I know this place. And then- Oh my God. I know you and I'm making the connections. Anyway, this is just me geeking out. I love it. But you were you were born into the hotel industry. Was that your first serious career thought when you were a child? Uh, you know what, it's interesting because we, so I'm, I'm trying to think of how far this goes back because we were in apartment buildings actually first in the 80s. So when I was working summers um, at the office, because we exactly said no democracy, right? So as soon as school's out the next day, I was at the office. And honestly, Bill, I was doing rent rolls. I was, you know, looking through and saying, who has to get evicted? Who, what, what are we doing? What building, what units, you know, need the superintendent to come in? So that was actually kind of my first role. I was doing administration and we were working on the apartment buildings. When we started getting into hotels, I think that's when I, that's when I felt that, okay, hotels is where I want to be. But because our, our company kind of started with gas stations of the apartment buildings, that was actually sort of my first when I was very young. That was my that was my first interactions and just, you know, doing filing and administration then eventually doing the accounting and the rent rolls for all of our buildings. As kids, we look back on those first careers that catch us. And you just said you, you said hotels were what grabbed you. Yes. What was it about the hotels that grabbed you? Oh, my God. So many things. I think that. I loved the idea. So also, I think this comes down to my Indian roots because Indians as a culture were very hospitable. We love hospitality. I'm not sure if you've been to India or any any Indian homes, but we will feed you like there's no tomorrow. We always want to make sure our guests are comfortable. And I think that also was ingrained in me. So just the feeling of, you know, being in hospitality and taking care of people and making sure that they're coming to stay with you. And, you know, the, the notion of taking care of guests, I, I love that. Um, And then my parents, so it was a Toys Hotels convention and it, the convention was in Orlando and we were staying at the Marriott World Center, if you're familiar with the property. I was really tiny, really, really small. And when I got to the front desk and I was very short because I was maybe four or five years old, the GSA, so the guest service agent, beautiful woman came around the desk, sat on the floor with me, gave me crayons, gave me this coloring book and was just asking me, you know, how are you going to like your stay and tell me about the hotel. And it was, I will never forget that moment because that hotel is huge and it was the biggest hotel I'd seen at that point. And the service was amazing. And at that point I knew I'm going to the hotel business. It was just, <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely loved it. 
But somebody took that service and brought it down to a scale of one and literally brought it down to your level. Yes. And made a connection with you. Yes. And which, and you know, when you're, when you're a kid, adults, they don't really do that. Right. And you know that you kind of know that, okay, we're checking into a hotel. The adults are now talking and the adults are going to take care of it. But the fact that she made a point to come around and speak to me, it was, it was just a moment that really stays with me and has stayed with me till this day. Now I want to, I, I think our story would get lost and we mentioned your father before and I could have your father on here and, and maybe one day we will and, and have that fantastic conversation because that would be a rich story in itself. But to lay the foundation from where you come, you're second generation Canadian. Mm-hmm. Your father came over in 1970, 71? Yes. But he grew up in Patiala, Punjab. Yes. Okay. Yes, India. Absolutely. And that's in the Northwest part of India. Yes. So he came over young, but he did not come over with venture capitalist funding and uh, financing and, no, and ready not. to build a business. He came over with yep. very little. Right. Does that spirit of coming over, I think your brother said in an interview, he came over with $100 in his pocket. 108 to be exact. 108. Yes. How does that shape everything that happens in the house growing up? That is such a beautiful question, Bill. And what I think is interesting is when I hear his stories of not only how he grew up in India, because they they will never say it, but they essentially, my, my dad especially, essentially grew up in poverty, right? There was no electricity, there's no running water. And just when you hear these stories, and, and we, I mean, we've been to his house in India, we, we've seen what it looks like. I think about that and I just think about how blessed I am that dad came to Canada and we all had the opportunity to be raised in such an amazing country with so much opportunity. And then you look at it that my dad came to Canada with English not only being a second language, but not being his strong language at that point. And he just had to figure it out. And at that point also, I mean, there wasn't a lot of Indians. There's not a lot of opportunity, but he found opportunity. He made opportunity. And I think that that entrepreneurial spirit definitely shaped all of us. But I think for me also, Bill, just the fact that, you know, these, the stories I would hear when, when they moved here, it's kind of, it breaks my heart as a daughter because I hate to think my parents went through it, but, you know, they would say we didn't really have a lot of money. So we we had one tiny little mattress. My mom, dad slept on that together. And when they were able to make $10, they would hide it somewhere in the house to make sure that if anything happens, if they need to buy medication or milk or anything like that, because at that time, $10 is a lot of money so that it could probably buy all of those things. And they would just hide the $10 away as, as safekeeping, you know, just in case. Mm-hmm. And when I hear that, when I hear that story, I just, my heart breaks that they had to go through that. And we, we were not, thankfully, they, they gave us such a good life that we didn't have to put away $10. I didn't grow up with a fear of, you know, tomorrow, if I get sick, I might have mon- not have money for medicine because my parents worked so hard to make sure that they went through that heartache, but their kids wouldn't go through that heartache. So I really do think I mean, I feel like I could talk for an hour just on this, that it really does shape how you grow up because you have an appreciation for hard work, for your parents, for work ethic, for money. You really do have that appreciation. I wrote down, I'm I'm searching for a note here because I wrote down this as I was thinking about your story, because this is your story, but you're being, you and your, your siblings are being forged, nature and nurture, in an environment of personal um, intensity. Your parents have this intensity. It comes through in everything that we know about them, but you're being forged within that intensity. And I wrote down, as kids, we often don't have a true understanding about what our parents do, but we cannot help be influenced by it. And so I remain curious about how people are influenced by their environment 
and then we understand it looking back. What are some of the things, or maybe one thing, that you take from that time and carry with you on a daily basis? Um, I think, I mean, there's so many things, but I would say the importance of hard work and dedication. And I feel like those two are different, right? Anybody and everybody can can work hard. But I think there's also the dedication part of it. And I think for me, what I also learned watching both my parents work so hard is I can say that I'm working hard, but am I also working at my at my best level? Can I go to bed at the end of the day and say, you know what? I not only did I work hard, but I was dedicated enough that I can say that I did my best today. And I think for me, that's something that that really resonated with me as I get as I got older and you know, I go through school, I went to university. It was one of those things where, you know, I I also wanted to make sure that I'm working hard and having that level of dedication. The other part to it would be just about having a different relationship with money and understanding that, you know, that saying it doesn't grow on trees. Well, we literally saw my parents kind of work from the ground up and, you know, being at a point where we were, you know, always saving money and and not about being frugal, but spending money wisely. My parents really, really taught us the, the importance of that. You went off to the University of Toronto to study business. You have a BBA in marketing. A side note here I wrote down, was that intentional or were you scratching an itch of interest or is that just a, a path? I know when I went to university, my father said, you have to get a degree in business. And I ended up getting a degree in English literature because interesting. I was a rebellious 19-year-old. <laughs> and then I ended up getting three more degrees in business. So my father tells me he told me so. Yeah, of course. Because he, he course, was right. As he should. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you pursued marketing. What, what was it about that that uh, intrigued you? So actually, what's interesting is growing up, and this, this might be a little bit confusing, but we worked all of our summers, Bill, at the office. That's what we did. We had no choice. I cannot say that I enjoyed it then. However, when I look back, I know that I learned professional skills at such a young age that when I went back into the workforce after university, I was so much better prepared. However, this is very much a South Asian thing. You are given two choices when you were young, doctor, lawyer. So even though I was working at the office and doing all those things, it was understood that I was going into medicine. And so in between working at the office, I was also volunteering in hospitals because I thought, well, this is what I should be doing because I'm clearly going into medicine because I wasn't as rebellious as you. And I thought, well, I just do what my parents say. So I'm going to go into medicine. So when I was in high school, I'm sure you had OACs. And when I had planned all my OACs, they were all sciences, chemistry, thinking I was going into business. And then one day I was actually, I was, she's one of my best friends. We were in the car together and I was telling her, her name is Dina. And I was telling Dina that I don't know why I'm going into science, because if I do, who's going to help my dad in the business? And we had this kind of earth shattering conversation. And at that point, I changed all of my subjects and I took business and marketing. And it was actually uh, my grade 12 marketing course, Bill, that made me love marketing. To be honest, I think it was kind of innate in me. I've always, I was always, I don't know what, what is the word? I loved advertising and marketing. Um, do you remember a show, by the way, when we were younger called Who's the Boss? Yes, with Alyssa Milano and, uh, and. Oh my God, what's her name? Well, she was Angela in the show. <laughs> yes. Tony Danza, so, I remember. Yes. And, and, yes. Uh, and. So, so Angela. Yes, yeah, Angela. Angela was this powerful woman that yes. either owned or worked at an advertising agency. Yes, yes. And yes. whenever I saw her, I thought, you know, that it, it's so interesting that in advertising and marketing, you basically get, get to determine the life of these products of whatever you're selling. And I think that the interest was there at a very young age. I just didn't realize it. So when I did this marketing course in my high school years, when I went to University of Toronto at Scarborough, by the way, 
that's when I decided I have to take marketing. And I just, I, till this day, Bill, I absolutely love the marketing of things. Of course, I have to follow up and ask you, how did that conversation go over at home? Which conversation? The one where you said, I'm not going to be a doctor or a lawyer. You know, what was interesting is that it wasn't even a conversation. It, it was it was understood. And it's so funny that you asked this because no one's ever actually asked me that. And I'm realizing now that it wasn't a conversation. It was almost when I said, okay, so I'm, I'm applying to university. And I feel like it's also different. The kids now, they do everything with their parents' guidance, right? They go to their parents for help for everything. But for us, my parents are not new to the country at that point, but they didn't know about university and how to apply. So we never really went to them for that advice. So instead, it was me going to them saying, okay, so I'm going to business. And it wasn't even, I'm realizing now, Bill, it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't, oh, you don't want to go into science. It wasn't it. So I kind of think they knew or they expected it. It wasn't even a conversation. That reflects some emotional intelligence in, in the household, though, because if you were, as you said, as a, as a cultural norm, you were growing up on a, one of two paths. Mm -hmm. And then you came and presented a different path and they went, all right, we understood who Ritu is. We understand what her passions are and, and what she shines in. And she is of an age now where she is determining her own path. Yes, it's and I, I do feel, Bill, that growing up, they sort of could sense in me that I was going to be the one that goes into business. You know, there was times when my dad was driving me to school and I was really young and we would be talking, talking about office and work. And he would naturally take the route of going to office. And I would say nothing because I was so excited that I don't get to go to school and I get to go to office. So I think that they saw they must have seen something at a very young age that they knew that business is what I would do well in. It was the lightning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was. And they went, okay, whatever she yeah, would like that, to do, that that's sense. fine. Yeah. <laughs> when you finished at Scarborough, you moved into the Eastern group of hotels in a role of, of sales and marketing as a director. Yes. It was that directly as a, directly as a director. Yeah, yes. I can say that. Yes, completely makes sense. And yes, that is correct. And during that time, you decided to go back and get your MBA from Schulich at York? Absolutely. What was the... As somebody who went back to get my MBA and had an education and journey that was a little disjointed, what was your motivation to go back? I always wanted to go back. It was always a plan. I've always felt that education is so important and knowledge is an asset that can never be taken from you. You know, health goes, wealth goes, so many things can come and go in life, but knowledge is a power that stays with you no, no matter what you do, no matter where you go. And I, and I truly feel that the more knowledge you have and even, you know, not even about school and and graduate degrees, but just knowledge in general, I'm I'm fascinated by it. And, and I, I would urge, honestly, I would urge everyone to do their undergrad, get a master's degree. I just I just think it puts you at a, at a cut above the rest when you have that knowledge. Did you do your MBA while you were working? No, I was actually a part of this program at Shulik that's amazing. It's called the Accelerator Program. So I was in and out in eight months because I had an undergrad degree in business. So a lot of the courses were duplicate. So they put me in an Accelerator Program. So I took the time off. Eight months in and out, got my MBA and came back. And that is a world-class sprint. Yes, it was. Yes. It was intense. Those are amazing experiences, though. The intense experiences where you go in, you have this changing experience. Right. Sometimes if, if experiences aren't intense, you're not really impacted by them. Absolutely. And then you went back and, and continued on the journey with, with the hotel company, with Easton, moving into executive director and VP and moving into more strategic development roles as well. What were some of the lessons that you learned along the, the way there? You're speaking now about after master's? After master's. How did you apply maybe the concepts that you learned in school 
into the real world, which tends to be a little bit messier. Of course. You know what I think Shulik is is really great for is we did a lot of case-based learning. And so, and even, even the way that they taught us, it wasn't really a professor just kind of talking at you. It was a lot more group learning and really much more applicable to real world scenarios. Because I know a lot of people say, okay, well, you know, real life experience, it doesn't beat education. I do think they're different. However, Shulik really made a point to make sure that the knowledge that you obtain would be applicable. So one of the things that I did is I wrote a thesis on family business, naturally, because I'm fascinated by it. And for me, I knew that that thesis was going to be my framework for what I bring to the company. And what I wanted to study was how do you get, you know, the book from good to great? How do I get the company from being sort of a mom pa shop into honestly at, at that time, to be honest, my goal was to get it to be at a billion dollars in, in terms of assets and, and worth. That was the goal. So once I did this paper, I literally took that as a framework and started applying that to the business and making a larger scale plan of how do we get there and what can I take that I've learned in all of these different courses, especially the family business uh, course. How can I apply this now to my business and to expand it and to make sure that we make it to the second, third, fourth generation? Was that a, a time where pivoting over into non-hotel assets? And I know that you mentioned growing up, the family business had done um, apartments, but there seems to be a shift to more asset uh, groupings or an asset portfolio within the group itself. Was that paper and that period of time of strategic thinking part of that shift over to to assets as well as hotels? Yes, it was. So what is really interesting is during Schulich, and I feel like I'm I'm giving away a huge secret here, but while I was in my MBA... It's there, okay. Nobody's listening. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Don't say that. Let's not put that into the universe. We want everybody to listen. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> listening, but just, just ignore what's about to be said for a sec. Yes, for, for a second. Right. So in for one of my projects uh, while I was at Schulich, I actually did a project that was solely based on residential development because I really felt that that would be something that we can add to our portfolio. So I did a really uh, sort of in-depth research project for school, in quotes, uh, knowing that I was going to use this when I came back into the company. And I graduated in 2008. And about four years later, we did make that shift into residential real estate. So it was all a part of my evil plan, Bill, all a part of the plan. Do you have an evil plan left? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> no? no, I wish I did. I'm not evil enough, unfortunately. Well, you just let me know and I'll sample some laughs and then yeah, we can just put that on a button for you. Like a, that's like perfect. That, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one the best, I think. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this idea of, of expanding the portfolio kind of pivots the, the business in a different way. And then I'm curious in this stage how important it is to have a diverse foundation underneath you for a large business. A uh, foundation of knowledge? foundation of knowledge, but uh, also foundation of different portfolios, because you have you have the hospitality hotel service aspect, right. but also the asset aspect, as well as the residential aspect. Mm -hmm. What appears to happen in, in the 2010s, 2015s, as we move forward into today, is there is a diversification right. within the group. And how valuable is that for people as they're building up their business to kind of diversify their portfolio? Uh, such a great question. You know, I think for us, we were we were going very quickly. And 
for me, the reason why I felt diversity was so important and being able to diversify into different industries, I also would like to diversify into mining, which we did. We held a small a small group of mining years ago. We sold it actually just before COVID. But for me, the reason why it was so important was I wanted to safeguard our company. So if anything happened, like a pandemic or like something, you know, anything that would be catastrophic, because, you know, when 9-11 happened, it obviously, again, it hit tourism, right? And it really, really affected us. So I just wanted to make sure that we could protect our assets. And that was that was the reason to diversify. So I would say that notion build of diversification, it, it's really so specific to the company itself. And for us, we started off with having hotels and, and service and looking at that. But as we got as we got bigger, we realized that, OK, now we can look at not only we will never sacrifice service, but we also want to look at what do our assets look like. And I started you know, looking at our assets in a different way of, OK, well, we're now into the Hiltons, the Marriott's. Do we still want to do the really limited focus like choice hotels or do we want to have a different kind of asset base? And so then we started, you know, not striving, I would say, away from choice hotels and more so into Hilton Marriott, focus service and now going into the four star as well. So I really do think diversification is so specific to the company, to its plans for the future, to, to its plans for growth and also are you able to sustain it? So for us, we were able to go into residential high rise buildings. Everyone said, but you're in the hotel business. To me, I felt, well, yes. However, we're going from building temporary homes to building permanent homes. And there's not really a difference because for us, we don't build our hotels and cut corners. We build it at the highest quality that we possibly can do for a limited service. So it just, it made sense. And I think that for companies that want to diversify, I wouldn't suggest that you just go out and, you know, acquire a business that you don't know anything about. It has to make sense and it has to fit into your plan for the future. I'm sure in, in your studies, you've read um, Levitt's work on marketing myopia and, and having a short-sighted vision right. on, on aspects. And what I'm hearing from you is this idea of, of countering myopia, saying I'm building buildings at the highest quality for, for limited stay. The building is actually a building that can be used for many purposes. Exactly. So we're doing the exact same thing, but we're saying, okay, now it fits into a different market and people can just live there yes. forever and constantly fighting that short-sightedness of what we are versus what we can be. Yes, that, that, that was exactly what it was. And I was always, I was always shocked when we would go into an interview and they would say, okay, well, why did you want to go into residential real estate? And that's completely different than what you do. And I thought, but it's really not. It's exactly the same thing. It's only a little bit different. So that is exactly, you described it perfectly, Bill. We'll wrap up the first half of our conversation with Ritu right there. There's lots more to come in her story, and in our next episode, Ritu and I explore her experiences and rise within the Gupta Group, her perspectives on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and her passion for philanthropy. You definitely don't want to miss out, so be sure to hit that subscribe feature wherever you listen to and download your podcasts. You'll be informed as soon as new conversations are released and guests join me in the service center. We have some really great guests coming up, so be sure to join us. Also, it's really helpful to the show if you could leave a review or some feedback. Share your favorite parts of an episode or topic. Finally, sharing is caring, so if you liked what you heard today, be sure to share it with your network. The Service Center podcast is hosted and produced by me, William Murray, and our cover art is created by Jack Designs. Thanks for choosing to spend your time here and I invite you back for more guests, stories, and service insights on the next episode of The Service Center.